Good morning. After that, I mean, really, we could just kind of close in prayer and we could have a good day. Because when the Spirit of the Lord shows up, it's pretty evident. And someday, some of the best messages are just sitting there saying thank you. Because every time you say thank you, Lord, man, my mind is flooded with everything that he's done in my life. And I begin to think about the good times. And I begin to think about the times that I was in the depths and he pulled me out. I think about a lot of stuff in between, and the one constant in every situation is Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're celebrating. This isn't a funeral. It's a celebration. We're not celebrating a person that died and we just commemorate his death. We mark his resurrection. We mark the time that he rose again, because every person in this world that has been famous, you go to their grave, guess who you find? That person. You walk to the grave of Jesus Christ, guess who you don't find? Jesus Christ. What I want to do today is I want to share with you, if if you're new to church, a lot of this message is going to be for you because I want you to understand why is it that these crazy people come on every Sunday, they sing these praises, they, they proclaim his name, and they've been doing it for generation after generation after generation. The story hasn't changed. The worship style may change, but the story hasn't changed. Why do, why do these people still celebrate this resurrection, and why does this resurrection still matter? Because my hope is that Easter Sunday 2021 will not just be another day. I hope that it's not just a special day for you to dress up, look pretty, take some pictures, find some eggs, and go on about your business. I pray that today is an annual reminder of just how far Jesus Christ was willing to go for you. Some of us in this room, we've had those experiences. Some of the people sitting around you, we've had those experiences where we needed somebody to go to the depths of the world for us. We needed somebody to go to the end of the road or was willing to walk with us step in step, sometimes run ahead of us, sometimes catch us back from going off the cliff. We needed that person. And you know who it was for many of us in this room? It was Jesus Christ. Some of you are sitting here because we invited you to come because we needed you to hear about Jesus Christ. We needed you to hear about his goodness and his faithfulness, his power, because what you're facing, you can't face alone. You can try, but you can't do it by yourself. But if you will put your faith and you will put your heart into the hands of Jesus, Resurrection Sunday means a whole new thing for you. So for us this Easter, let's don't let Easter just pass by And just say it's another day. It's just a holy day that many people celebrate. Man, how incredible if the whole world stopped in its tracks to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why does this story matter? Because I'm going to tell you this, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible, but I need to explain something to you that, that I'm reminded of every time that I think about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus just would have died, just stay with me for a minute. If Jesus just would have died and not rose from the grave, then he would have been nothing more than a good moral teacher and a prophet that somebody really enjoyed following around for three years. But the moment Jesus opened his eyes and took his first step, everything changes. And Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's everything that the Bible says he is and so much more. And if you will trust, not the person that you heard about, but you will trust the person that you put your heart into his hands, I promise you, you will never be let down. 
That is the gospel of the resurrection, that when Jesus walked out of that grave, when he defeated death, he created opportunities, he created hope, he created a lot of things that you are desperately trying to find. And let me, let me be honest with you. Can be, just be crystal clear, transparent as I possibly can. Even many people in the room who have been worshiping Jesus all of our lives, we have moments where we will go chase the thing that we think will bring us hope, forgetting about Jesus Christ. And these are the moments right here that we have to just come back to ground zero. We've got to come back to the, to the core of who we are and say, Jesus is why we can celebrate. Jesus is why I can be a believer. Jesus is why it's still relevant. And Jesus is why I still have hope. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. And if you want to, if you want to cheat, you can go ahead and get into John chapter 20 as well. We'll get there eventually. Uh, for those of you that see, I have a very decorative Bible. You don't know me. Let me just tell you, on all special holidays, it's pretty cool to be able to preach from my grandmother's Bible because if anybody in my life loved Jesus more than anybody I've ever known, it was Peaches Matthews. And so it's awesome just to be able to share some wisdom. I feel, man, she just had so much wealth of information. And it's just neat to be able just to have this moment to be able to preach from her Bible. I don't say that to bring light of it. I just need you to know that I didn't beat up a senior adult on the way into church today. Okay? <laughs> Luke chapter 24. Let me set the stage for you. Seven days before this moment in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has what we call the triumphant entry. He goes into Jerusalem, and I mean, it's like a party on, the, on Broadway. There are palm branches going all over the place. There are people shouting Hosanna. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm, but not everybody knows what they're excited about. Some people are looking at us like, man, this is the Messiah, the Savior. He's here. Hallelujah. And some people are yelling at him going, we need a savior, hallelujah. And many of them just are there just to see if Jesus will mess up so they can, they can arrest him. They can go ahead and put him to death. All this happened seven days prior to this moment. But we choose to celebrate the, the palm branches because every, every palm branch that dropped is a celebration of humility going, this is the king, and I want to submit to this king. I want to submit to this Jesus. This Jesus is changing people's lives, and I want, to, I want to bow myself before this king. We saw a video, some of you did, where you saw palm branches, and you saw mats and blankets, and all these things happen because people in the crowd knew this guy is different than anyone else. The hope that he brings is different than anything this world has to offer. All that happened within seven days. Four days prior to this, so go three days into the week, Jesus has what we call the Last Supper. Many of you are familiar with it. We call it the Lord's Supper. We do communion. It's a moment where Jesus spends in one of his greatest teaching moments with his closest friends, even one that was going to betray him just a little bit later on. Jesus has this moment, and he teaches them humility and sacrifice, and he tells them what he's going to do. But nobody in the room got it. You ever had those moments with your mom or grandma, aunt, uncle, somebody, like they tell you all the things about life and you just don't get it? That's what's just happening right here. They're hearing Jesus. They're loving it. I mean, they're just receiving it. But then it's like, what do you think he meant? They're about to find out. Go in a half an hour later, just a couple hours later, Jesus is in the, in the garden and he's praying. And it's an intense prayer time. The Bible tells us it's such an intense prayer time. He's bleeding. That's how intense it is. What would, what would Jesus, what would pain him so much to pray so intensely that blood would, would just come out of his brow? Well, one was because we know just a little bit later he was going to be crucified and executed. But you know the other thing that he was praying so intently before was you. You're like, what? 
John records it that Jesus, in his time of prayer, takes a moment and he is praying for every person that comes next who would put their heart and put their faith and put their belief in him. So I can tell you 2,000 or whatever years ago before you were born, Jesus is kneeled in a garden praying for you. How incredible. Half a day later, we find Jesus. He's been tried. He's been convicted falsely. I mean, it's like a kangaroo court, but they went with it, and everybody was all in. They said, crucify him. They took him to the cross. They nailed him in his arms and in his feet. They put a crown of thorns, not like a, you know, just a soft plastic got out of Fisher Price set. I mean, like, it is drawing blood deep into his skull. All this, and Jesus never complained once. Did he wail in pain? You better believe it. But he never complained because he knew that every drop of blood that he was about to spill was for you and for me and for his family and for his friends and anyone else that would ever so just believe in him. And that's where we pick up the story because after that day was finished, when the sun went down, those that followed Jesus did something that happens to us quite a bit. Maybe you've had those moments in your life where you were so joyous. I mean, I can tell you from a basketball game last night that there was a team from California that was so excited until one guy threw up about a, what, I don't know, 40-foot shot and banked in. And that team from UCLA went from joy to despair because it was over. There was nothing else going to happen. But Jesus is so much better in a basketball game, y'all. Luke 24, let's pick up the story there. This moment... Everything hinges on this moment. Man, how exciting it is. Before I get there, let me just tell you something about Luke, who we're going to read about. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is a moment in Scripture that's recorded four times in four Gospels. Paul will reference it in his letters throughout the New Testament. And a guy named James, who happened to be his brother, will later confess that Jesus is Lord and put a little bit of word into his letter. But I want to tell you something. These four Gospels, these are not just four people that just said, man, this is a good story. We should talk about it. These are eyewitness accounts of people that were with eyewitnesses. For instance, how many of you are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew, as we know, is a tax collector. Tax collectors pretty much are the same as they are today. Nobody likes them. We don't want to give them any money. We try to give it as late as possible. We just don't like tax collectors. Add in to Matthew, not only would Matthew take the taxes, he might take a little off the top. Because, you know, pain and suffering and having to sit there all day and get your money, he'll take a little off the top. Jesus changes his life and says, I don't want you to do this anymore. I want you to follow me. Matthew instantly leaves, becomes a disciple, follows Jesus for three years. We know that Matthew's ministry lasted well beyond three years, continued to write the gospel and share Jesus with anyone to come in contact with. Then there was a guy named John. I know I'm skipping to the bottom of the list. Those of you that like chronological, hang on, I'll get to you. There's a guy at the bottom of the list. His name is John. He was a fisherman. Fishermen are really un, very uneducated. They weren't schooled. That was a trade that their whole family had done. But somehow, some way, John worked his way in not just a fisherman, but he became in many ways like Jesus' best friend. His own gospel would say, I, I'm the loved disciple. He'll never say, hey, that was me. But he'll say, the disciple that Jesus loved, or the beloved disciple. And John followed Jesus, and he loved him so much that at the moment of the cross, John actually took on Jesus' mother as his responsibility There's no blood. There's no connection. There's no reason he should, other than Jesus said, Mary, this is John. He's now your son. John, this is Mary. She's now your mother. And he took care of her for the rest of his life. Then you get to the two in the middle. 
Mark was a companion, a friend of Peter's, who we know Peter's a disciple. We know him an apostle. We know a lot of things about Peter. We've got letters from him. He's written about in Paul's letters. But Mark is his companion. He's going around. He's, he's hearing story after story. Peter's preaching after preaching. And he's hearing all these things. And he records it because this becomes kind of a compilation of Peter's stories all about Jesus. Couldn't you imagine just sitting there with Mark and just, man, like, you're so excited about all these stories about Jesus. Like, Peter, one one more time, slow it down, because I know you got a big mouth, but slow it down here, and let's just, let's make sure, I want to get all these details. And how Mark just really just does a great job of translating Peter's stories and Peter's situations. And then we have Luke, who we're at. Luke was a doctor. He investigated the events of Jesus from eyewitness accounts, from disciples and people that were closest to him. He did it because there was a man named Theophilus where there's a disagreement on who that guy is, but there's no mistake about it. This person, Theophilus, is a person that is intellectual. They want to know, or he wants to know, is this real? And Luke says, I'll take care of it. And he goes eyewitness and story after story and person after person, disciple after disciple. And he not only records his gospel of Luke, but he also writes the book of Acts and he gives us the end of the story in the gospels. But the beginning of the story of the local church. So we pick up Luke's gospel. And so Luke, as he's writing this, this is not his personal experience, but these are eyewitness accounts that Luke is writing about. And he says this starting Luke 24, verse 1. He says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that the stone was rolled away. Amen. Praise God. But when they entered, they, when they, entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes, gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you that while, while you were still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again? Don't miss verse 8. Then they remembered his words. When they, came back to the, when they came back from the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven, all the disciples and everyone else that was there, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and there were some others that were with them. They told this to the, the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. But Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. You know, for me, John said it earlier, and we, we sang about it. We've mentioned it a couple times. But why the resurrection matters is because this moment brings hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ will continue to bring hope as we continue to study it, we continue to celebrate it, we continue to live from it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ does something that nothing else in this world can ever do. Give us a chance at what comes next. The blood of Jesus paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future. Imagine if somebody just gave you a bill paid in full. There'd probably be some dancing on that one. All the sins that you've done, all the sins that you're currently doing, all the sins you will do, they've been paid for. Does that give you the freedom to go do whatever you want? Absolutely not. That's not just a do whatever you want, get out of jail free card. This is your eternal life that Jesus just paid for. Jesus redeemed us because what happened and what we sometimes don't see is why do we need Jesus? Because we have no eternal value on our own. Now, some of you are like, man, that's offensive. I'm okay with that. Because I'd rather you be offended but get to heaven than be okay and miss heaven. 
I'd rather you be offended at me, but okay with Jesus and, and really receive him and believe him and put all your faith and trust in him because he's better than me anyway. I'd rather all that than you sit here, smile, take a few pretty pictures, go home and forget all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is giving you value. And for some of you right now, you wish that anybody in your life would give you value. I'm telling you, Jesus gave you all the value you would ever need. When Jesus conquered death, he opened the gateway for heaven. And I, I put it this way, and, and I think it's a fun way to look at it. If the cross paid for our sins, the resurrection is the exclamation point on paid in full. Because when Jesus comes out, then nobody, nothing, no one can ever separate us from the love of Jesus ever again. And there's power and there's hope, there's love all because Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and he rose. I want to go back to Luke 24, starting in about halfway through verse 5. It's going to be on the screen here. I want you to be able to see it. It starts out, it says, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Let's fast forward and make some connections. Why are we looking for things that will only bring us death when we should be looking for the things that bring us life? What are the things that fill your life, not suck it out of you? Jesus Christ is one that fills that life. So then we go to verse 6. He says, he's not here, but he is risen. And there's a key word in there. And if you got it in your Bible, I want you to underline it. Remember? Sarcasm in the Bible noted saying, did anyone pay attention? Jesus told you, Jesus, he, he spoke to you when he was in Galilee saying, it is necessary might want to underline that. That seems pretty important. It was necessary for all these things, for Jesus to do all these things. Necessary for him to be betrayed in the hands of sinful men. Necessary for him to be crucified. And it was going to be really important because he was going to rise on the third day, which is incredibly necessary because it took all of his teaching and validated every teaching moment. Sarcasm of the angel. Did anyone catch what Jesus said? Jesus told you the whole time this is what he was going to do. And this is how Jesus was going to do it. What has Jesus told you? Is it possible? Think about this. Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, that Jesus has been teaching you your whole life, from the time that you were a kid into teenage years, an adult, maybe even a, an older adult or well-seasoned adult, as we like to say here, and you have not chosen to, to listen? Or you simply didn't know that it was his voice trying to lead you? Man, the resurrection is to get our attention. The resurrection is to prove to us of his power. The resurrection is for you to hear that Jesus said, everything I say in the Bible, it's all true. Every bit of it. If I said I was going to forgive you, I'm forgiving you. I have forgiven you. I will continue to forgive you. I'm preparing a place for you. You need only put your heart and then your life and believe in me. I love how, I love how the scriptures point out, just believe. So listen to what Jesus did for you because you, you need something to believe in and it's Jesus Christ. And it brings you love greater than the world could ever offer. You need to listen to what Jesus has done for you so that you could know a savior that wants to be invited into your heart. He's not going to force his way in. He wants to be invited. Don't you love those guests that are invited into your homes instead of the ones that just barge in and say, here we are. 
Jesus says, I want to come in because if you invite me, then our relationship is already starting off on the right foot. There's a desire, there's a love, there's just, there's a connection that we're going to have because of the invitation and the hope that it brings you could experience. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. John 14, verses 6 and 7. He told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, very important here. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So when Jesus comes to your heart, you have access not only to Jesus, but to the God, creator of the universe. If Jesus just would have died, you got nothing. But Jesus gives us direct access to God the Father. If Jesus could uh, overpower the grave, if he's that powerful, what could he do in your life? Man, he could change your world. Second thing I want you to understand is the resurrection of Jesus changes followers into believers. And if you wanted to, just say casual believer, or casual followers into believers. You know, Jesus never lacked an audience. You ever, you ever heard some of the stories of the Bible? Jesus never lacked an audience. I mean, people would literally like walk hundreds of miles in his three years just to hear him do something. I mean, they got to hear him when, you know, he did miracles and he healed people and he raised people from the dead. They would follow him. And sometimes, like Jesus said, well, okay, well, I can't get that way because that'll take forever and there's 10,000 people going that way. I'm going to cross the lake. Guess what? That 10,000 just made their way on the, on the lake. And somehow they got like super speed because as soon as Jesus showed up on the other side, there they are. And so you got different kinds of people. You got the ones that really just love Jesus and want to be with them. You got ones that just wanted the show, and you got the ones that are just trying to prove him wrong. But they all follow Jesus. But this moment in time changed it to believers. I mean, because you imagine, in Luke 24, everybody went from being empty on Friday to full of faith. And I say everyone. Eventually, everyone became full of faith because Jesus took them from despair to joy again. They went from the bottom of the depths of the sea to the cloud nine of excitement. Go back to Luke 9. It says, returning to the tomb, they reported these things to the 11 and all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary Mother, the James, uh, Mary Mother of James, and other women telling the disciples what's going on. But they seemed like, it's, all the news seemed like nonsense. Seemed like nonsense. We have, the, we have the ability to kind of look back and be like, oh, you boys are screwed up now. You were the closest friends, and that seems like nonsense. But you got to think, that's how we operate sometimes, too. I've heard about Jesus, but he seems like he's alive in somebody else's life, not in mine. I'm telling you, Jesus does not want to be alive in somebody else's life. He wants to be alive in everybody's lives. He wants to be alive in your life. He wants to bring hope to everybody. But Peter, he got up. It didn't seem like nonsense to him. He got up and ran to the tomb, amazed at what had happened. John also records, this is where I was telling you, you can cheat over and go to John chapter 20, because John records it a different way, but same story. John records in, in chapter 20, verses 3, starting verse 3, he says, at that time, Peter and the other disciple went out, headed to the tomb. The other disciple is John. We know that. The two men were running together, and John wanted to make sure that you knew that the other disciple outran Peter. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes, but he did not go in yet. So John's outside. Verse 6, then he followed him. Simon Peter also came and got there. He entered the tomb, and he went in and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on Jesus' head was not lying there with the linen cloth, but they were folded up in a separate place. 
So not only did Jesus ride, but apparently he folded the laundry on his way out. And then John finally got some courage. The one that got to the tomb first, then he went in. And what is those last two words? He believed. Or he saw. You see, some of us, we need to see the things that Jesus has been doing the whole time. Peter, for the first time in his life, was actually quiet. You don't hear any remarks. You don't hear any stories. You don't hear any sarcastic remarks. Peter goes in the tomb, and he is speechless, probably because three days prior to that, he had just denied who Jesus was. And a little girl said, finally, you were the one. You, you were one of him. And he said, no, for the third time, and all of a sudden, the rooster crowed. And then you get John. John is the beloved one. He's there. He loves Jesus so much. Love is what drove him to the cross. He's like, I love this guy so much. I'm I'm just empty without him. He runs and then he believes because now Jesus is alive. And his best friend in the whole wide world is alive. And as soon as he saw it with his own eyes, he fully believed. For some of us, we need to figure out what is our light bulb moment. What are the things that Jesus has shown to us in our life that prove he's alive? And how many things, like what do we have to do so that we see it not with our mind, but we start seeing it with our heart? Can I tell you something? Some of you that don't know who Jesus is, and maybe you're just not there yet in your belief system. You know that person you're sitting with or sitting around? One time they were just like you. They heard about Jesus. They read about Jesus. Sang some songs about Jesus. But it was all with their mind. But it's the day they put Jesus in their heart. Everything changed. Do they still have bad days? Everybody around the room is going, yep, sure do. But do they have hope in those bad days? You better believe it. Do they have days of celebration? You better believe it. Do they have days in between? You better believe it. Because the hope of Jesus is just as good in the depths of the sea as on the peaks of the mountaintop. And he is going to do it in your life. He wants to do it. When followers turn into believers, a lot of things changed. From this moment, once Jesus is alive, in a few days, he's going to show himself to all the disciples in a small gathering. And just in the next 45 to 50 days, here's what's going to happen. That small gathering of 11 plus some others that we're not sure how many were there, they're going to turn into a small church, and they're going to become a gathering of 120 people. That 120 people, including Mary's mother, they're going to, they're going to just feel the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come alive, and they're going to build a church within 40 days of thousands. That's incredible. If you're a pastor, like... How do we get there? What are those five steps to going from 125 to thousands? But it's not about the numbers. It's about the Holy Spirit coming alive. It's about the power of Jesus being seen and believed. 125 don't turn into thousands just because everybody showed up. 125 turn into thousands because those that could just be so excited and so filled with with joy and their lives have changed so much, they couldn't help but go find everybody they knew and said, you've got to know what this guy has done for me. And there's somebody sitting with you right now. You are here because they want you to know everything that Jesus did for you. And they want you to know that you could have the eternal joy. You could have the eternal salvation. You could have everything that we talk about. If you will take Jesus and invite him into your heart and let him become the Lord of your life, will everything make sense at that moment? Probably not. But you're free. And there's nothing that Satan can do. There's nothing this world can do to keep you from Jesus Christ. Amazing what would happen when followers turn into believers and they put everything they have into 
their belief of Jesus Christ. And how do I know that? Because I'm going to make this statement, and I believe you may question it, but you need to understand it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is just as relevant as, as it is and was the day it happened. Man, that was an old story long ago. There have been so many years. People have probably just made up that story. Jesus was probably at Jerusalem Holiday Inn or something. Don't do that. Don't cheapen what Jesus has done for you. Put your faith in it. I say it again. If Jesus would have stayed dead, he would have been nothing more than a prophet and a, and a moral teacher. But the Jesus, I'm believe, the Jesus I believe in, the Jesus that I'm truly convicted in, he is not just a teacher. He is not just a moral coach. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and he wants to be in your heart. What do you have to lose? I don't know if I can believe all that Bible stuff. Hey, that's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. As you begin to step with him, he begins to show you the truth of his scripture the truth of his power, the truth of his hope, the truth of his love. All of that, the way the world can never show you. I want to put a picture on the screen. And I want you to look at it. Many of you, it's a familiar picture. You've seen it before. We know this to be what is marked as the, the tomb of Jesus, or at least a tomb very similar to what Jesus would have been placed in. Depends on who you are and how you look at it. But I'm telling you right now, even if this was symbolic, this happened. Scientists, archaeologists, teachers, scholars, everybody has gone to try to find Jesus' body so they could prove all the Bible wrong. Haven't hap hasn't happened yet. Jesus is changing lives still today. The same power that took a stone out of that doorway is the same power that resides in you if you will put your heart and your life into him. We need only to look to the cross of Christ and to the tomb right there and say, man, everything he said is true. Why am I struggling life? Fair question. My response is, where's Jesus in your life? How much faith, trust, love, investment have you put into a relationship with him? You could try money. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can try your talent. It's not going to get you very far, even though some of you are incredibly talented. You can try every relationship, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everyone in between. You can try them all. They're not going to get you to Jesus. You can try the government, and the government's going to save me. No, the government's not going to save you. You can even try religion. You can show up here every Sunday, never accepting Jesus, but showing up, singing songs, put it on that happy face. But it's not until Jesus comes in here, right here in your heart, that everything changes. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, Scott, I've tried everything. Today, one final try and make it Jesus Christ. There are some people around you, they love you so much. Man, they will walk with you, not because they are good, but because they have Jesus. Jesus has been in these hearts for a long time. Some of us, let me just speak to you that have been in church for a while. Make sure before you leave today, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're a believer in Jesus. 
And believers share what they know. They tell every person possible the goodness of Jesus Christ. And if you're worried, man, that's old. That's, that's, just, that's just fairy tales. No, 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 no. No, there's enough, there's enough stuff going on in the, in the world and in science and archaeology where there are people trying to prove Jesus wrong. There are also people showing you that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And the Bible is coming alive. And you need to jump in. Don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry. It's worth every investment you could possibly make. That tomb of Jesus, that power that it took to get him out of that grave, that's the same power that enters you the moment that you accept Jesus into your heart. Whatever you're going through, he's got you. This Easter, if you really want to make it matter, don't leave here without a relationship with Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We want to pray. Some of you this morning may say, like, man, I would, I would love to invite Jesus into my heart, but I don't know how. I'm going to try to walk you through a simple prayer. Would you join me? And just as soon as I say it, you repeat it. And if you have already accepted Jesus Christ, you just sit there and be praying for f- friends around the room, friends in the mezzanine. But if you need Jesus in your life, pray after me. Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner. And if I'm honest, I'm empty. I've tried it all. And I'm ready to put my faith and trust in you. Would you come into my heart? Would you save my life? And would you forever change my eternal destination? I love you. I need you. And I want you in my life. Amen. If that's a prayer that you just prayed, I want to know about it before you leave today. My family's over here. I'm going to come worship with them during response time. If you'd like to just... Come and find me. John is in the back. We're over there by those doors right there. My brother Wayne is right over here. Man, these guys would just love to just to pray with you and celebrate with you. We'd love to walk with you in the next steps. And maybe like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to get up out of my seat because it's going to be a little weird. That's fine too. There are people around you that would love to talk to you. You could come reach out to us this week and just say, hey, I made that decision to follow Christ. We would love to celebrate with you. Because when the Bible tells us when someone gives their life to Christ, it's not just us that gets to celebrate. There is a chorus of angels. And and when you say chorus of angels, don't think like, you know, a 25 gospel piece choir behind me. I'm talking about all of heaven is rejoicing because you chose Jesus Christ. And we want to celebrate with you today. Friends, I want to say one more thing before I pray and we turn it to response time. Go back to one thing I said a couple times now. If you are a follower of Jesus, Don't follow Jesus because of the show. Don't follow Jesus because you like his teaching. You believe and put all of you got into that relationship. And if you say, man, I've I've, I've given him my heart, but maybe not all of it, then today is the day where you say it's all or nothing. I'm all in because I need Jesus gas all the way to the ground. We're going all gas, no brakes. We are going into that relationship. And you begin to share Jesus with everyone you come in contact with.
because Jesus is everything. Let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you so much for this time of worship that we get to have. Thank you for the message that you give to us. Thank you for your hope that you give to us. Thank you for your grace and your love and your salvation. Thank you for the cross that makes it all possible and makes it all real and makes it all true. Father, thank you so much that you love and care for us and that you created a way for us to do it. Father, I pray that no one would leave this place without a true, genuine, fulfilling relationship with you. Father, even if it means we got to stay here and talk, that's fine. But whatever you want to do next, we celebrate it because you are that good and you are that wonderful. Father, we love you so much. Continue to speak to us as we reflect, as we worship, and remind us of your goodness and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.